Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Yahoo Sports. Yahoo Sports has been a leader in fantasy sports for nearly two decades, and it's great to see that they recently introduced Fair Play for Daily Fantasy. Yahoo is helping to level the playing field for sports fans with strict contest entry limits and veteran labels for highly experienced players so you know who you're playing against. Yahoo Sports is offering our listeners a special offer. Go to the Yahoo Fantasy app or visit yahoo.com slash daily fantasy. That's yahoo.com slash daily fantasy. And use promo code RINGER, R-I-N-G-E-R, with your next deposit to receive a one-time $50 deposit bonus that is earned over time as you play. Plus, first-time depositors will receive a $10 credit to enter contests. So remember, that's promo code RINGER on Yahoo Sports Daily Fantasy. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan and I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line, the devil and God are raging inside of him. It's Andy Greenwald! Re up. Feels good. <laughs> yeah, what's going on, man? I love the way you combined our past love of emo slash emotional hardcore music and the television show Preacher that we're going to talk about today. Yeah, that was a brand new record that I did not listen to as much as the brand new record that had come out previous to that. Yeah, I didn't like it as much as the one that came so out previously, but really still. it's a really solid reference to start the day you're with. You're killing it, man. Andy, it's the re-up. We're going to talk about Preacher today, but first, I know that we had some, some, some business to take care of. First of all, uh, we wanted to say, now that you're home, now that you're East Coast mm. bound for a little while... Mm. Just want to play a little bit of Danny Boy over airplane movies. Yeah, I just want to say first of all, Chris, you know, <laughs> you know how much I care about you, how much I f- have, f- how much fun I have being in the office with the whole Ringer crew, all the kids. I'm so glad I'm not on an airplane right now. This is the <laughs> only the second Thursday since early April, I think. I've not been flying over the country. And that feels yeah. good, especially because but you I probably just wanted... watched the Sully trailer, right? Well, just a hundred times in a row, of course. <laughs> I got to say, though, I kind of wanted to go out big. Like, I, I wanted to to end this amazing three months of me watching movies on airplanes, which really, thanks, everyone, for flying along right there with me. You're you, know, you, you guys were the wind beneath the wings. We didn't need the wind because we had jet engines powering <laughs> me, but I still appreciated it. Um, I, on my last flight, Chris, last week, last Sunday, my monitor was broken. Yeah. I was unable to watch any films. Like, talk about ending with a whimper. Isn't that... It, it's is like the gods knew. Or a super tragedy. <laughs> the gods knew that it was it was time to to bring this great podcast to make segment to an end. Can, can I just tell you the about one things that happened of, uh, eighteen months ago? What? Where you talk about things that happened eighteen months ago? They were like, go now in peace. <laughs> you have, go now, exactly. brother. You were, too, you were too bright and beautiful for this world. Um, just a little bit of knife twisting, though, which is your favorite kind of twisting. Um, you know, my, my, my family came with me on this, this last trip to L.A., as, as you know. And um, during these many, many, many cross-country flights, I held back. This is me trying to be a good guy. I didn't watch Academy Award nominee Carol the entire time. <laughs> because at some point in, like, early January, my wife was like, oh, You were I'd saving like the that. best for last. Well, A, that. But B, my wife was like, oh, maybe I'd like to see that. And I was like, I heard you noted i got you okay so at so no your, point during your wife any of was these like flights, i want to watch carol and you were like the best place to do that is on an airplane no i was like absolutely i will refrain from watching it because oh, i would I be a respectful 
spouse. I, so I did not watch it, despite it beckoning to me. Even during those slow weeks in June, early June, Chris, when Delta hadn't updated its movies, I, I, I stayed strong. Anyway, my wife and I were not sitting together on this last flight. Went back to check on her, how her flight was doing. Guess what movie she was just wrapping up? <laughs> on the airplane. What a savage move. Todd Haynes' instant classic, Carol. And I you was got like, Carol you stabbed. Had, <laughs> I was like, you had 65 plus options on here. You have seen as few movies as I have during the three years that we have been parents. The one movie, she, she wasn't lying when she said she wanted to see it. In fact, she didn't want to see any other movie released between 2013 and 2016 other than Carol. And I said, how was it? And she said, it was pretty good. So, you should have just like, she, I would have been awesome if she had just come up to you and was like, have you heard about Carol? This movie's great. Her nails are amazing in this. Do, do you, you know that the worst part, she said this to you. She actually mocked me and then you by extension for constantly recommending the intern and saying, you know, it's really not that bad. So in a way, this is your fault is what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, because with your tireless advocacy for... The, the you know Nancy Myers masterpiece we turned her on it and so now I will never see Carol because I'm never going to be in an airplane again and I'll never see another movie so it's, that's an, appro it's an appropriate ending it's a fair but appropriate ending it was kind of a surprise twist at the end it's a little bittersweet I'm sorry to you and I'm sorry to Delta and I'm sorry to uh Todd Haynes and I just Rooney want to Mara. apologize to Rooney Mara I mean yeah it's disrespectful Andy my opening bit here that I want to talk to you and, and to our listeners about you know, we sometimes do this thing called In or Out. Uh, mm -hmm, it, it, mm -hmm. It's a, a recurring franchise that we, we visit. And I yeah, just don't yeah. know if In quite captures what I'm trying to say about this actor that I'm going to talk about oh. now. Uh, in, in like the last 10 years, people who know me know that I have, uh, I have strong, I sometimes will have strong premonitions. I wouldn't necessarily yeah. think that I, I am not like a, I don't know that I have the, th the third eye, that I have, I'm gifted with the second sight. Do you, do you have the gift? Do you have the shining? <laughs> I might. Because I called Obama in 08. You did. And you did. Doesn't, I, who, 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 who can't let that go? Is it Chuck that can't let that go? <laughs> no, I just, I just want everybody, I didn't call it like I called it when he was up 10 points. I, you know, I, I called say, it's, it. It's, it's pretty amazing, Chris, that you were able to guess that a Democratic candidate would win in a year when the incumbent Republican had a 20% approval rating in the economy to nosedive. That yeah, was but I called call him over you. Hillary the year, like, I think I called that, like, 07, yes. actually, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's a big one for me. Another big one recently was that I suggested that Harrison Barnes might join the Sixers only to stoke mm -hmm. a media firestorm, which yeah. I was uncredited for entirely. Uh, but you're not speculating. Better. What's that? I'm not bitter. You're, it's okay. No. Um, this is fair use. It's it's open source. Here's another tip. Buy all the Aaron Eckhart stock. What? <laughs> all the Aaron Eckhart stock you can find, you buy that. You say you give an order to your to your your financial planner, to your broker, and you say, put all the yen on Eckhart. All can the I, Deutsche can marks. I, can I ask something? Because this is this is much more bold than calling a freshman senator as the next Democratic nominee for president a year before it happened. This, I, I would say that Aaron Eckhart in 2016 is the walking definition of a Isabella is asset. definitely looking at Aaron Eckhart's IMDb page to be like, who the fuck is Aaron Eckhart? <laughs> Let me tell you something. Aaron Eckhart 
is going to win supporting actor at the Oscars next year. And you know what his top competition is going to be? Uh-huh. Aaron no. Eckhart. Because <laughs> he's going twice on that piece. Once for Bleed for This, the new Miles Teller boxing film that's coming out, where he right. Eckhart has, has gotten a haircut that looks like his hairline is receding. Which is really such a boss move for a guy with a good that, hair, the, head of hair like that. That's the Pete Campbell, right? That's yeah. what we call that. And then in uh, Sully, the upcoming Clint Eastwood film about the plane landing in the river, he is the co-pilot wow. to Sully. And he looks great in that, and he's got a solid mustache in that. So I'm, I'm, I'm feeling the tremors in, the, in the, the tracks, and I'm telling you, go long on Eckhart. It's interesting because in all of the reaction pieces and think pieces spawned this week by the news that the Motion Picture Academy of Arts and Sciences was drastically expanding its votership, especially in terms of of diversity. (laughs) They didn't didn't talk about the ramifications of Eckhart. That's what I'm saying. No one could have predicted that bringing in, you know, great, great numbers of new uh, young voters and women voters and African-American voters would, (laughs) would result in the coronation of Hollywood's new king, Aaron Eckhart. That Did is you, really you a may remember result. Aaron Eckhart. Here's some of his great roles. Wait, let's be clear before you say that. You may not remember Aaron Eckhart as <laughs> Isabella is demonstrating in the background right now. Aaron Eckhart went pro playing offensive coordinator Nick Crozier in any given Sunday. Went pro. <laughs> he solidified his credentials as one of our greatest actors, originating the Bradley Cooper burnt role in the Catherine Zeta Jones Romedy. Rom, Rama, dra, romantic drama, no reservations. Rama? <laughs> keep going. Just keep digging. Uh, I love this. And then he, he actually secretly was the best thing of the entire Dark Knight trilogy as Harvey Dent. Wow. This is really, this is out of left field. This is a big one for you. Can I, can I just ask one more follow-up before we move yeah, on? Yeah, sure. Do you like Aaron Eckhart? I, I never really had an opinion on him before we started. This, this is podcast, my point. Like, I don't know. Are you doing this as like a wealth management consultant? Are you like, look, this really sucks to be English right now, but buy low on the pound? Yeah. Or are you like, I am an Anglophile. I'm literally wearing a kilt right now, but buy low on the pound. No, I'm you know new to I mean? him. Like, I'm new to his stuff. I've always, I've always appreciated him, and I've appreciated the way he's skewed. He's, he's sort of, he's shunned fame. You know, he's in it for the work. Gosh, well, you know, it, it, it's hard. It, it, isn't, wait, wasn't, didn't, didn't Miles Teller throw him under numerous buses, like an entire bus depot? Yeah, do you want to hear the Esquire quote? Piece? Do you want to hear the quote? Yeah, I was hoping we could circle back to this. Let's find this. Hold on one second. Because this all sounded very familiar. So, Teller was in Rabbit Hole with Aaron Eckhart. The, shout out to Shuby, uh, Sam Shuby, for putting this in, in, in front of my, me again. Uh, you know, and Teller, when he was talking, I don't know who he was talking to about this, but he said recently he worked with Eckhart again in the boxing movie Bleed for This. Quote, now in Bleed for This, he, Eckhart, is my trainer, the overweight kind of supporting character actor. (laughs) Eckhart idolizes the likes of Sean Penn and Jack Nicholson, but he's just very anti-paparazzi, Teller says. It's hard to get the right position. To be somebody who is commercially successful and critically acclaimed. That's the sweet spot. Wow. What a dick. That's amazing. (laughs) Well, all right. You guys, you heard it here first. You guys are all going to get very, very pretend rich. Uh, Chris's uh, Hollywood stock tips. Let's start talking about... This is definitely 
this is definitely a new bit. Chris's Hollywood <laughs> stock tips. We're going to revisit this. Let's talk a little bit about Preacher because this is, uh, yes. you know, we, we were really immersed in Game of Thrones for a while, obviously. And I think to the probably the detriment of, of following television en masse, you know, mm-hmm. which is something that we love to do is to follow television entirely. Yeah, we we we're we're big. <laughs> I don't know quite how to say this. Yeah, we're big into television, Chris. Yeah. It's something that we're big fans of. Preacher, newest show on AMC, brought to us by Seth Rogen, Evan Goldberg, and Sam Catlin. Uh, it stars Dominic Cooper. It is based on the Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon comic from the '90s. Which you, were you a mm-hmm. big reader of the comic? I was. I read every issue in the '90s. Did you in the '90s? In I read them as they were coming out. Man, I would go down to to Fat Jack's Comic Crypt on Haverford Avenue and pick up a issue of filthy blasphemy so let me ask you this that's just who i was because my computers wrote a cool thing for the ringer this week about the sensation of watching the this show and i would say that this is probably the most delightfully confusing tv show that i have watched in a really long time like i am Mm -hmm. i'm all in i love almost every second of it while i'm watching it and i really couldn't tell you what's happening was that what it was like to read the comics in the 90s no um, what I would say is, and again, the nineties were, were a minute ago and <laughs> I was surprised how little I remembered of the comic book. But my takeaway from a two decade vantage point is that what actually was happening in it overall didn't really matter so much. It was really, the whole thing felt like, um, basically as if DC had given Garth Ennis enough money to buy a very cool monster truck and allowed him to just joyride it all over the American South and West. It was very little in my memory. It had very little to do with what we might call, you know, um, plot or building up to any one particular thing. It was, it was a lot of detours and a lot of shock and a lot of very, very dirty, very, very intentionally blasphemous humor. Mm -hmm. And, so when this was announced and this this is the project that had been in development ever since the comic was out and i think we we probably at some point in the last four years talked about it and maybe even held it up as an example of this idea that you don't have to make everything because they're just simply i just could not see a reason why you would make this because especially or, or and a lot of people have said or how you could make it if you were going to be faith completely faithful to exactly. it exactly either also because being truly faithful to it would involve basically taking the piss in a way that just doesn't really work in a serialized television show um which isn't to say that the work wasn't often very funny and often very good and steve dillon is a tremendous artist but its goals were very different and the landscape that birthed it was very different culturally than i think we are now and so what's truly i think amazing and really impressive about the show is that it is almost totally reconceived um on a character level on a structural level on a thematic level but somehow they found a way to maintain the I mean, I don't even know what to call it, the insouciance, I guess, yeah. of the comic. Um, and it's much better spirited, if that makes sense. Um, Garth Ennis is hilarious, but he was working out some things in that comic that I think came from a place of anger that turned into comedy about the church and other yeah, issues. Yeah, didn't it? And, and, it and kinda, I, I, writing about I've, America from a distance. I've been flipping through some of the pages, and some of it has like a little bit of like a New York fucking city, St. Mark's Place t-shirt vibe. Yes. Like, no, you know what I mean? Like, I'm well kind said. of being uh, purposely con- confrontational with the humor and with the content. Um, so let's talk about the show a little bit. So that's the comic. Yeah. I want to jump off from this point because, you know, TV shows teach you how to watch them. You know, I think that that's something yep. we've talked about before. And 
we've talked about the, we've talked about the night of uh pilot or the first episode of the night of the hbo uh limited series that's on now uh that you can watch the first episode now on hbo go and i was thinking a lot about the visual language of that show and the way that it creates an a atmosphere an atmosphere and a vibe and preacher does the same thing preacher is about as understandable as Deadwood in some ways, and Deadwood was written in sort of profane Shakespearean Old West language. Preacher, <laughs> through combination of its visuals and and the dialogue, are is just as dense and in some ways um, impenetrable. But I have to say, the the trio of lead actors in this show, mm-hmm. Dominic Cooper, Ruth Nega, and Joseph Gilgan, who play Cassidy, Tulip, and Jesse, are so charming and so watchable can you remember a collection of stars of a show of a new like new stars that are so immediately watchable i mean maybe clive owen and andre holland on the nick no i think you're making a great point because it's not just that they're instantly stars and instantly watchable it's that they instantly have the chemistry both with each other and now with the audience that it usually takes shows multiple seasons to develop um, when Mad Men was ending last year, we just couldn't stop talking about how much we will miss these people and these yeah. interactions, these fictional characters and these specific performances. But the beauty of TV is often that these performances can, you know, they, 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 they sink in over time and we steep, they, the actor steeps into the performance and the performance steeps into us and we just become more and more excited to watch them get better at it. These three are immediately terrific. Yeah. They are, um, life rafts in a sea of, you know, very very crazy action and sometimes impenetrable plotting and they're just such a delight to watch did you know that that dominic cooper and ruth nega are a couple irl no way they are are you they are you kidding me no they are wow and they were before this which is kind of the dream because you know if they were living in london and dominic cooper's like okay well i finally took the tv role that they've been trying to get me to take for six years but i'm i'm fucking off to texas for the next seven years (laughs) Not bad to bring the girlfriend along, and he's, she's outshining him. He was with Amanda Seyfried for a while, wasn't he? I, look, you know, we we got to bring we got to bring Juliet in here. I don't know the I don't know the TikTok of it, but that's this that's what the internet told me, and the internet doesn't lie. Well, um, but but that that is a great point because if any you know above above and beyond anything else, that's what recommends the show. These three these three actors and their performances. Yeah, because I think that. If, I actually was thinking about this with the end of the South... Well, not the South of the Rise Again was a sort of different animal, but the, the episode previous to that, so not this past Sunday, but the Sunday before that, as Jesse Custer and Jackie or Earl Haley, we have to talk about in a second, but his character, Quinn Cannon, are talking about God and the devil and it, you know, a lot of this stuff that, you know, are, am I a good man? What does a good man do? And things that we've joked about, like how every character mm-hmm. on a television show seems to turn to another and say, what's a good man if he's a bad man? And as a bad man, could he be good? You know, like the just the Rust Cole conversation. It, that it's, And sometimes they say it while staring into a streaked mirror. Yeah, exactly. That happens on this show. But I just don't care. And it's it's great because it is so visually alive in a way. You know, they, these shows will start that you'll, they'll start and you'll be like, oh, this guy's show's got an interesting look. But those that look itself will become codified really quickly. Uh, and you know, we saw that a little bit with True Detective season two, where some of the Fukunaga moves that happened in True Detective season yeah. one became basically the language of the episode. I still can't even catch the tail of these these episodes. I have no idea what's going to happen next. Are they going to spend 20 minutes in the Old West? Is it going to be a crazy chainsaw fight? Is there going to be a car chase through a cornfield? 
Is it going to be about a guy who tried to blow his own head off and lived? I mean, it's all the stuff that they're throwing at you and the energy of the filmmaking and yeah. inside of it is really, really refreshing. It's really refreshing not to have our hands held um, four or five episodes into a season. There is a feeling of, you know, you, it would be very possible to be watching a show and be, you know, 50-50 secure in what's actually going on and think, well, the people who are making it don't know what's going on either. I don't get that sense primarily because of what you're talking about, the visual language and the tone and the energy and the, and the, the, the good spiritedness that somehow goes through the show, a show that involves people having their arms taken off with chainsaws. Um, that, that, you know, that alone carries it. But I, I think that what they've, what they found here, and I would love to know the conversations that, that, uh, Evan Goldberg, Seth Rogen and Sam Catlin, Sam Catlin late of Breaking Bad, um, and Michael Slovis from were... Breaking Bad has been directing and a couple of these episodes, right? Exactly that. Yeah. Michael Slovis was the, the longtime, um, DP of Breaking Bad, who really, really people credit him a lot with the, with the visual look of that show. Um, the conversations that they all had about what they could do and what they could get away with, but more importantly, the kind of conversations that new shows have to have inside of themselves and with networks these days about how to break out, how to, how, how to differentiate themselves from the pack. And you look at a lot of shows and we can pick a recent show from AMC as a reference. Um, the other drama they debuted recently, which is feed the beast and shows put themselves in straitjackets so quickly you know, it's unforced errors and and self-tied knots that really could be avoided, which is to say that, like, because the language, the storytelling language, not the visual language, but storytelling language of the prestige drama is so codified now of what it's going to be, what's going to happen in episode eight, the stakes, that when something like Feed the Beast starts with the best of intentions, and, you know, I think Schwimmer's good in it, I think that, I think everybody there is, it, it's not a bad faith show. 30 minutes into the pilot, you're like, okay, well, he's got the sick kid and he's sad and there's the yeah, crime element you know and we happening. see where it's going. You got it. <laughs> I was watching you. You were talking with some people on Twitter today about Halt and Catch Fire and you were like, they, they yeah. announced the third season and people were like, do I have to watch the first season to get, you know, and you were like, for, you were kind of like, just do what you want. Like, you know, but yeah. with shows like Feed the Beast, and I don't mean this in a callous way, like you're saying, I'm sure people worked really hard on that. I would say you don't have to watch any of it. You could just watch well, the most recent episode and probably have exactly what you're saying. You'll know exactly where you are. With Preacher, I don't even know what to tell people because I almost think you should probably save Preacher in blocks and watch it that way. Because it's so yeah. difficult to to draw the line from episode to episode, week to week. It feels like it should be almost the way that they put a series of comics into collections it should be that way for this for the for this show well i think one thing they're doing intentionally which is something that um that noah hawley does intentionally on fargo too which is treating every opportunity to reintroduce yourself to the audience on a weekly basis as an adventure mm -hmm. you know destabilizing the audience by by putting them in a place they've never been before making them double check hitting info on the remote control to make sure they're watching the right show or the right the right episode of the show that's not a bad idea, you know, because especially in an era of binging, the way things can just effortlessly slide from one to the other can sort of lead to a deadening of your attention span. So when one episode of Preacher begins in the 1870s, and then another episode begins with people with, with, with women running half naked through the woods being chased by men with guns, turn out to be paintball guns. But, you know, that sort of disorientation is, is pretty powerful. But 
I want to be clear that the other thing that impresses me about it isn't just this sort of aggressive shock or destabilization or whatever we want to call it, because there are moments there that are very Sam Raimi-esque and they're over-the-top yeah, sort of shock comic horror. got a lot of early Coen Brothers vibes, too. Absolutely. Um, and that's a, that's a pretty spicy and strong cocktail to, to, to mix, and I think they're doing a pretty good job with it. But what I'm really impressed with is how how liberal they were with their changes from the comic book because they immediately recognized what you know what was possible and what wasn't there was a line i think in last week's episode where i think cassidy and 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 jesse one of them says well you know you know all this is headed towards a road trip don't you and they're joking Mm -hmm. and they're talking specifically about one thing that they're that they're going through but i think that was a wink to the fans because the comic book begins basically as a road trip and the three characters are just going across texas there is no there there but a very smart thing, both in terms of, you know, making a deeper story, but also making a more affordable production is they've rooted the show in this town for at least one season. And that's given us a whole lot more to play with and a whole lot more to, to, to sink our teeth into, but also a whole lot more to care about. One of the things that this show does uh, that I really like is it inverts how I think we've been dealing with characters uh, on TV in a lot of ways for, for several years. Um, there's a model where... You meet Don Draper or Daredevil or or whoever, and they are normal until you find out the surprising part about their character, you know, that they mm-hmm. have a secret, that they are a vigilante or they used to be Dick Whitman or whatever. Dare, Preacher seems to start characters with the surprise and work them into, and I'm talking about more of the secondary characters like Donnie. Where it's like it starts mm-hmm. with him slamming a guy's face into a car wheel and slowly mm-hmm. makes him more and more nuanced as it goes on and more and more not normal. But do you understand what I'm saying where it's like they 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 flip the surprise so that the surprise slaps you in the face. And while you're stunned, you meet a real human being. I think that's exactly right. I also think with, with the show, and they've been doing that with well. Cassidy and Tulip, too. But the other thing that helps that point is that there is no. You know, you you were you were you were talking about how there are a lot of characters. There's there are there has been the conversation about what's good and what's evil. The show hasn't helped us. There is no there is no infrastructure of or a character that's representing uh, all good or all bad. Right. You know, there is no rebellion against anything because everyone is a little bit wobbly, a little bit nuts, more than a little bit violent. And so, in that world, we have to be we are intentionally disoriented because we don't know which way is up. And for as much as Dominic Cooper's character, as much as the as preacher, um, seems to be coming from a place of good faith and wanting to do good works. He's not that good, and he's not. He doesn't seem that concerned with the enormous power he's suddenly wielding, as we as we learn at the end of no. This, if anything, he seems aroused episode. by it. Yeah, yeah, and and we got to say, I mean, Dominic Cooper is a, is is a, he's a great big shining star. I mean, he is so charismatic in this part, and just his and they. It's funny because I don't imagine. Like many actors, he doesn't strike me as an enormous physical presence, but he's very, very, he has a very, very intense presence on camera. And he sort of menaces and looms in a way that is pretty interesting for a, you know, for a guy wearing a collar. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. So I wanted to end it on just kind of a a larger note, which is that the last time I checked, and I I don't, I don't want to say this erroneously, but I was talking, just, just looking at the numbers before I came in, it does seem like the the ratings, at least the more traditional ratings, have started somewhere in the one and a half million range and then have kind of mm-hmm. steadily gone down. 
and almost in response to that, it seems like AMC announced that there will be a 13-episode second season. Mm-hmm. Uh, where is your head at in terms of where this show is in as a business proposition? Is this an example of what FX does, which is when they find something that people are talking about, even if it's just a small amount of people, but are talking about it passionately, and you get to maintain a relationship with people like Seth Rogen and and yeah. Evan Goldberg and Sam Catlin, do you just double down and say, you know what, we we will wait for people to find this show and catch up on it and get the Breaking Bad slingshot out of the, yeah. the second season? I think all the points you're making are the, are the right ones. I think the first thing to say is in 2016 this is a pretty decent debut season in terms of ratings. Um, I think they're probably pretty happy with it. I mean, you, you made a reference before to the announcement of Halden Catch Fire's third season, and I am so excited about that show coming back in August. First-run episodes of that show's brilliant second season were getting like 400,000 viewers, hmm. and that got a third season. So the numbers game is certainly not not what it used to be. Um, I think that the other thing that AMC would, would look at would be who, who makes up those 1.5 million viewers? And I'm sure they're overwhelmingly young in exactly the type of demographic that they want to have and the kind of demographic that they want to carry over from the Walking Dead demo. Like, they, they can, they yeah, can does pretty have easily cross-pollinate and cross-advertise those shows on their Sunday night and have a nice little um, ecosystem that viewers will, will gravitate to. But you cannot discount this other point that you're making, which I think is really the key one, which is they want to be in business with these three guys um, I mean, they want to have these three stars on their air, too, because they can promote them. And, and I think they're also betting on the fact that all of them, maybe more than anyone else, Ruth Nega is going to about to be a bigger star. Yeah. But I mean, we made that um, comment about Riz Ahmed last week or earlier this yes. week with Night Of, where it's like, enjoy him now before he is in blockbusters and or or top lining a very big show soon. Yeah. Same thing. For and, Ruth and, Nega. and also just look, look, even look at Joseph, Joseph, Joseph Gilgan on this show. He is so charming effortlessly charming his line readings i mean i can't imagine they're more than one take he's so good um you know when you see something popping off the screen like that you want to invest in it but but your point about the people who make the show i think is really he used to be one. on misfits in england uh this is england 90 he was on the last winch witch hunter he has a thing in that but oh he was on misfits wasn't that with uh with ramsey bolton yeah it's a uh, it's quite a quite a jv squad they had on he that was show. on coronation street and emmerdale so he's got that going for him. Shouts. So you are an Anglophile while you're making the uh, <laughs> while you're investing in the British pound. Um, but when I so I when I was I talked to um, to Joel Stillerman, who's the head of AMC, a couple months ago, and he was very enthusiastic about the Preacher pilot. And then when I spoke to him, what what really got him excited, what he was most excited about, was the fact that he had just seen the rough cuts of episode two. And for him, and I think for most people in TV, you know, the, any, any, anybody, not anybody, but many people can make a, make a pilot. He was really impressed that, that Rogan and Goldberg were able to rein in what they wanted to do and direct a second episode with, you know, in a faster schedule with a lower budget. So yeah. I think they're very high on them as creators. And I mean, and Catelyn learned, learned from the best. You know, the fact that he's involved in it makes it very clear that it's not just a vanity project from, from Hollywood types or movie types who are going to be too busy doing other things. So I'm just excited there's a show that is fun to watch like this and you know you notice we've been having this conversation and we've talked about how we are we're confused by stuff but we don't care right like that's sort no. of a weird place to be but it's fun I, I i don't mind going on this ride every week it's very it's not enjoyable. the same thing as thrones where you're where you know that you need to know what every who everybody is and what everything means and what it you know family ties there are this is just it feels a little bit more like the 
it feels more like you know you're driving with the top down and the the seat belts off. Not that I recommend doing that, which is not you which don't. Which do I know how you guys love to drive out in California, right? I always have the top down on my Camry. <laughs> Classic Camry convertible. Let's take a quick break for our sponsors. Casper is a sleep brand that created one perfect mattress sold directly to consumers, eliminating commission-driven inflated prices. Its award-winning sleep surface was developed in-house and has a sleek design and is delivered in a small how-did-they-do-that size box. In addition to the mattress, Casper also offers an adaptive pillow and soft, breathable sheets. An in-house team of engineers spent thousands of hours developing the Casper. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foams for a sleep surface that's just got the right amount of sink and the right amount of bounce. Plus, its breathable design sleeps cool to help you regulate your temperature through the night. Mattresses can cost well over $1,500, but Casper mattresses cost $500 for a twin, $600 for a twin XL, $750 for a full, $850 for queen, and $950 for the kings out there. Buying a Casper mattress is completely risk-free. Casper offers free delivery and free returns with a 100-night home trial. That's incredible, because you often will have to spend hours at a mattress store trying to figure out whether or not this thing is comfortable, and you just, you're never going to know until you spend 100 nights at something. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. Casper understands the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit, especially considering you're going to spend a third of your life on it. Time Magazine has named it one of the best inventions of 2015. In fact, it's now the most awarded mattress of the decade. As a special offer to watch listeners, you can get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting www.casper.com bspn and using offer code BSPN. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, Andy here to talk to you about one of our sponsors, Indochino. You guys, Indochino is reinventing men's fashion. They will give you a made-to-measure suit. Do you know what that is? I feel like that's what the word bespoke means. That's a word I've been using for years, but I never actually got to experience it until I went down to the Indochino showroom here in New York City. A very, very friendly guy named Moses who had a very interesting tattoo and used to be a male model. A lot of stories, but very friendly care I got from Moses. He steered me in the right direction. He hooked me up with a suit. Uh, It was so much fun. It was so easy. You got to customize any part of it that you wanted from the lapels to the inside of the jacket. Um, Maybe you don't even want belt loops like a crazy person. I don't know. That could be you. The point being, you go down there. It's relatively affordable. You get what you need. You get your suit made and you get to track it online as they make it for you. I don't have mine yet, but I've been watching it be made and that's sort of fun to do. Um, You can't go wrong with a well-crafted 100% merino wool suit. There's a money-back guarantee. So here's the thing, guys. All of the listeners of The Watch can get any premium suit for just $399. That's up to 50% off at Indochino.com when you enter the promo code WATCH at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. There's no reason not to try it with a deal this good. A classic suit from the premium collection will look good, feel good, and last. Plus, as I said before, it's super fun to do. That's Indochino.com, promo code WATCH for any premium suit, just $399 in free shipping. Indochino is your look, your way. Bespoke! Okay, so we wanted to talk a little bit because we've been getting questions about book recommendations and and the Double Down Book Club, which is something that dozens of people know about. It's uh, me and Andy's crime fiction book club. I think sometimes we we venture into more literary yeah. pursuits, but we we like to keep it keep it pretty pretty street. Pretty. I don't know what am I saying. <laughs> that, that's we accurate. Like to venture into, across the board, we like to keep it pretty street. No, we like to keep it, we like to keep it genre based. But uh, we we're trying to figure out like the best way to talk about it this summer because summer is the time of reading. I don't know if you know that summer reads, and we didn't really know. Should we pick a book that we all read together and talk about? Should we recommend a bunch? We could do both. 
Yeah, we and we have this Tumblr that we haven't updated in years, which is snitchbutlers.tumblr.com, where we were sort of throwing up little pieces or little links to some of our favorite writers. But I got to say, this week was so flattering to me because we were getting these images from people's bookshelves that people had actually listened to us and bought Marlon James' Brief History of Seven Killings, Ryan Gaddis is All Involved, novels by Ross Thomas, my favorite writer of all time. Um, just you know anything that we'd even mentioned passing, Jean-Claude Izzo and his Marseille novels. This was so cool. Yeah, total chaos. So, we would like to continue this somehow, I guess. And so we are crowdsourcing um, because we always want to talk about books, but we aren't sure the best way to do it um, going forward. And yes, we do know that we had promised like two years ago that we would pick up the last book in Justin Cronin's series, which just came out, City of Mirrors. I think Chris yes. and I were both a little burned by the second book. Justin Cronin's Vampire Trilogy. <laughs> so we were a little dubious. Also, we've gotten a, a somewhat shaky review from, from our buddy Zach Barron, who described a 50-page passage about gardening. That I, <laughs> It's making me a little hesitant. But but the bigger picture is how can we – we we want to be servicey here. We want to keep talking about books, but unlike TV shows, books are you know books are sometimes a bigger commitment, and sometimes people don't want to hear about them until they've read them also. So how much in depth should we get about them? We're throwing open the doors inside the process. We're welcoming you all into the tent. So, so maybe tweet at us and let us know the best way to do it, um, and uh, and we'll take it from there. Right? What do you What are you reading okay. right now? Yeah, you, we'll you're, be... you're, you're stuck in a rereading I... hole, right? No, no, no. I was I'm rereading this novel about the Vietnam War called "Going After Cacciato" by Tim O'Brien, which is something I wrote when I was in college. But for the most part, I've been reading. I know I I did a little bit of the Jeffrey Vandermeer trilogy authority and um, oh annihilation the southern reach trilogy i was thinking we should do that together but i got bogged down in the third one yeah maybe we should rock that um uh then there's a couple other things but we'll put together a list maybe take some suggestions from 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 the peeps and until monday but wait, Andy. before we jump off, Chris, I have to ask you something. Oh. This is just this is just two pals talking. I was curious because you said you're is rereading this, something. Is this you Eckhart haven't... related? It could be, but it would be a stretch. I wanted to ask you something because you just said that you are rereading a Tim O'Brien book that you read in college. Now, prior to that, I know you were back on a Don DeLillo jag and you were rereading a bunch of DeLillo yeah. novels. I am a little scared to revisit Don DeLillo because... All these. I, I went through this period in college where I was like, I'm going to read only contemporary American writers. And I was reading Don DeLillo and, and Madison right. Smart Bell and, and Paul Auster. And I was getting super into them and I loved them. And then I haven't read any of them since. And I have no idea what I really think of them because I think I may have been pretty dumb back then. So I don't know what I read or didn't read. So I'm almost scared. Well, it, to turns, go out, back. it turns out Don DeLillo is still pretty good. Oh, word? <laughs> yes. That, that, yeah. that our hot take of the week? <laughs> yeah, he's he's... He's still good. Uh, I'm not selling his stock. He, uh, the one that I would actually recommend if people are like, oh, I, I would read a Delillo book. Which one? Running Dog is his Ross yeah. Thomas novel. It is his uh, crime espionage novel that he wrote in the 70s. It's set in New York. It's fantastic. Maybe I'll go back to that. I have not read that since I was 20. So maybe maybe that's something we could all we could all do together, gang. I don't know. But anyway, tweet yeah. at us. We'll think about <laughs> it's it. It's the we'll summer it of DeLillo. <laughs> don't everybody get in line just, at once. Just pink wines and the novels of Don DeLillo, American Master. <laughs> Andy, I don't know what we're talking about Monday, but I can't wait. Oh, no, we're not. Because it's Monday, it's July 4th. Yeah, so man. July 4th, there's a special episode of The Watch that I recorded with Joe House going up um, about DC punk rock, of all things. Very cool. Uh, I'm not I'm, joking. I'm excited about that. But uh, so we'll do a re-up. But we'll next do a week re-up next week, show. right? Yeah. Okay. Great. Until then, happy Independence Day, Baranskis. Have a good one. <laughs>